Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good episode. I do some more Spooner. This is a really good portion of Spooner, too. A really important one. He's just, God, he has some real zingers in here, some very famous lines. So, people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years, and I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell people the hard truth about what a corrupt system they operate under. It's not a matter of getting the right people in. The system is con job, scam. I'm also a self-certified master practitioner. I gave myself that award almost 20 years ago, and recently uh, I gave myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for these podcasts that I make. All right, enough fooling around. Let's go ahead and get this show going. So I'm going to continue, Spooner, no treason. We're getting pretty close to the end now. I'd say, depending on how long this show runs, we probably have, I don't know, at least two more after this. Could be three total additional shows in order to finish this essay. And like I said, every episode, it stands on its own. It's true I'm covering the entire essay because I think it's critical that people understand it. And because each part talks about different things that we all hear. We all hear them all the time. With the Oh, it's a contract and it's binding and uh, the taxes. And you, you've agreed, it's implied consent and all this stupid shit. He goes through all of it. So he goes through all of it. And the arguments are just simply unassailable. And the reason most people have never heard of Lysander Spooner and any of his work, and I've done his natural law already in a series, I'm going to do his vices aren't crimes, and I'm going to do his trial by jury. Because those four all need to be done, and if people understood the issues that are raised and obliterated by Spooner in those works, the government that people support would never survive. It could never survive. The people would see that they've been very fundamentally lied to their entire lives. They imagine that there's this discussion going on out in public with media and academia and government between two sides of an issue. And that, you know, they talk about constitutional rights, this and that. And what happens when you understand Spooner is that you realize that everybody involved in that debate is a liar or a complete and total dupe. They have no idea what they're talking about. And if they're that badly fooled and purport to be professionals in the area that they, under no circumstances, can ever be trusted (laughs) with regards to their opinions because they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And I've tried to show people again and again this, and that's why I decided to do Spooner. I have tons and tons of shows that elucidate all the sorts of issues and things he brings up, and I show you in real time the way they apply. But it's important to hear the material itself so you can be armed and never fall into these government traps about the consent of the people, and it's an agreement and a contract, and Constitution protects this and that. It's all made up. It's 100% made up. And the people who are out in media and government who purport to be on our side, the side of freedom. See, they're professional controlled opposition. Whether they know it or not, doesn't matter. I suspect only the kind of top guys really know how controlled they are. But they all know that they're certainly controlled in certain ways because they're never allowed to discuss certain things. And their handlers come in and make sure that they can only talk about things in certain ways. And then they don't actually discuss that with their audience. And they don't quit. 
they just stay there knowing that they're actually pretending to do something that they're not in fact doing, which is trying to help people when they're not. They're actually driving them into a ditch of the fake constitution crap and the voting, which anybody can see doesn't work. 240 years, it's all moved in one direction, one direction. And that is more and more government control over and over, fewer rights, so-called, being protected. And there's no change in that. It doesn't matter who's involved. So so let's continue this, part six, section four. This is where we're picking it up. The Constitution not only binds nobody now, but it never did bind anybody. It never bound anybody because it was never agreed to by anybody in such a manner as to make it, on general principles of law and reason, binding upon him. Right. It's not an agreement between anybody because it's not actually a legally binding agreement. It's just a made-up thing by government that they then claim to have all this authority that flows from it. It doesn't have any of the requirements of an actual agreement. It's a general principle of law and reason that a written instrument binds no one until he has signed it. This principle is so inflexible that even though a man is unable to write his name, he must still make his mark before he's bound by a written contract. (laughs) That's a good point, right? You can't just say, oh, here's a contract. Well, I didn't sign that. Well, I know, but we presented it to you. Uh, Well, that's not the way it works in the law. This custom was established ages ago when few men could write their names, when a clerk, that is a man who could write, was so rare and valuable that even if he were guilty of high crimes, he was entitled to pardon on the ground that the public could not afford to lose his services. That's interesting. I didn't know that, but it's true, right? I mean, you have to sign these written documents. Even at that time, a written contract must be signed, and men who could not write either made their mark or signed their contracts by stamping their seals upon wax affixed to the parchment on which their contracts were written. Hence the custom of affixing seals that has continued to this time. Yes, See, this is the thing. You have to read the thing and agree to it. Every lawyer knows this. It's not that you can't have contracts be binding that aren't written. It's true, you can. They're oral contracts. You can. There's all sorts of different kinds. But the Constitution doesn't purport to be an oral contract and doesn't fit any of the qualifications of an oral contract either. It just doesn't fit. It's not a contract. It never was. It's made up. And the fact that they say, well, a social contract. Well, a social contract is completely different than a written contract. Social contract is a vagary, a made-up thing that government has made up in order to pretend that government actually has authority. And they mix the two concepts, the idea that somehow we are, we're bound by a social contract and that it's set out by the Constitution, that the terms of it. Well, those things, they, they're contradictory. They don't make sense together. Either the Constitution is the, in fact, law of the land where the government gets its authority, or it's not. If it gets it from a social contract, then what is the Constitution? <laughs> it's nothing. And what is the Constitution if it's a contract? It's nothing because it's not a real contract. See, it's all made up. Let's continue. The law holds and reason declares that if a written instrument is not signed, The presumption must be that the party, to be bound by it, did not choose to sign it or to bind himself to it. (laughs) Right. If you don't get an opportunity to sign it, which we don't with the Constitution, and or you don't sign it when you're given an opportunity, it doesn't bind you. 
and law and reason both give him until the last moment in which to decide whether he will sign it or not. Neither law nor reason requires or expects a man to agree to an instrument until it is written. For until it is written, he cannot know its precise legal meaning. (laughs) This is such a good, important point. With regards to contracts, and I tell people this all the time, another great reason that the Constitution is not a contract is because the legal meaning is completely and totally ambiguous. And that's evident by the fact that Supreme Court opinions themselves have people on completely opposite sides in the single opinion. And that the people all around on completely opposite sides justify completely and totally contradictory things by supposedly pointing to the Constitution. And what that means is that the terms themselves are so vague and ambiguous and can mean anything that they mean nothing. You have to have concrete terms that everybody can understand and agree to. Otherwise, it fails. It fails. That's all. It's it's void for vagueness. There's a failure to have a meeting of the minds. There's all sorts of reasons why it's not a binding agreement. Let's go on. And when it is written, and he has had the opportunity to satisfy himself of its precise legal meaning, he is then expected to decide, and not before, whether he will agree to it or not. And if he do not then sign it, his reason is supposed to be that he does not choose to enter into such a contract. The fact that the instrument was written for him to sign, or with the hope that he would sign, goes for nothing. He can read through them and decide, you know what, this doesn't really work for me. I'm not going to agree to that. I'm not going to sign. And that's it. You're not bound. And, of course, with the Constitution, the ultimate problem is that they tell you all the time, we don't even know what's in this law. And you don't know how it's going to turn out when it goes to the Supreme Court. You've got to find out whether you have these certain rights. Well, if you're having to wait for the government to tell you whether you have these rights, well, then that means that whatever's in the Constitution is not clear and not binding to the government and or that there's a fundamental disagreement about what it says. Every single one of those things shows you that it's not a contract and it's not binding and it's nothing like what you're told. Every single one of them shows definitively that it fails. (laughs) Every one of those. Every one of those is just skipped over. They're all skipped over by so-called constitutional conservatives who just assume it's, you're, you're bound by this thing that nobody can tell you what it means. They, citations to the stupid fucking Federalist Papers. The vast majority of the time they're citing the Federalist Papers is to show you that the way the law is being interpreted, the way the Supreme Court's operating, the way the government's operating, is totally and completely outside of what the Federalist Papers describe, which is supposedly what the Constitution means. So when they point to that, all they're showing you is that Spooner's right and they're wrong and that they're distracting you. Let's continue. Where would be the end of fraud and litigation if one party could bring into court a written instrument without any signature and claim to have it enforced upon the ground that it was written for another man to sign? (laughs) Great point. That this other man had promised to sign it, that he ought to have signed it, that he had had the opportunity to sign it if he wanted to but that he had refused or neglected to do so. Yet that is the most that could ever be said of the Constitution. (laughs) It's true. It's unavoidable. And it's not an answer to say that, well, it's not practical. You couldn't have done it. That's fine. Then don't tell me it's a contract. That's fine. I agree. It isn't practical. You can't get everybody to sign it. Okay, right. Precisely why it's not binding doesn't create any actual authority. Why it's all just smoke and mirrors made up nonsense. The very judges who profess to derive all their authority from the Constitution, from an instrument that nobody ever signed, would spurn any other instrument not signed that should be brought before them for adjudication. 
Oh, God, I love that one so much. Such a great point. The judges are such the worst hypocrites in the world. They run around pretending they have all this authority given to them by the Constitution. They ignore the fact that the Constitution has no authority and can't possibly transfer to them any authority because they can't ever identify where it is. All they do is start with a presumption that it's the, quote, law of the land. Okay, well, that's just a presumption. It ignores the entire point we're talking about. Where does the Constitution get any authority? We're told it's the consent of the people. Well, I've gone through all these arguments. There is no consent. So the judges are either totally incompetent or completely crooked. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Let's continue. Moreover, a written instrument must, in law and reason, not only be signed, but must also be delivered to the party or to someone for him in whose favor it is made before it can bind the party making it. Yes, the signing is of no effect unless the instrument be also delivered. And a party is at perfect liberty to refuse to deliver a written instrument after he has signed it. He is as free to refuse to deliver it as he is to refuse to sign it. <laughs> right. If someone sends me a contract to say, oh, we're waiting for you to return it. You know, you need to sign it. It's not just you need to sign it. You need to sign and return. Okay? If I sign the thing and before I mail it, I have conversations with people say, this is, fuck this. I'm just tearing it up. This is garbage. Throw it out. <laughs> it's not binding. The other person has to get it. They have to have it. Those are all necessary. But it's all completely ignored. Let's continue. The Constitution was not only never signed by anybody, but it was never delivered by anybody to anybody or to anybody's agent or attorney. It can therefore be of no more validity as a contract than can any other instrument that was never signed or delivered. There's no way around Spooner's points. That's all. There's just no way around them. That's why they're ignored and, and never discussed, because you can't get past this. And it's not an answer to say, well, what's your system? What's your? I'm showing you that the system you're operating under is completely and totally invalid, has no authority, and is no different than any other despotism or any other tyrant. That's all. And you're lied to every day. If there's an answer, we need to all decide what we can agree to if we can come up with a government. It's not okay to say that our government is this freedom machine and then it's shoved on down everybody's throat with absolutely just completely and totally nonsensical reasons and excuses they give. Let's continue. Section 5. As further evidence of the general sense of mankind, as to the practical necessity there is that all men's important contracts especially those of a permanent nature, should be both written and signed. The following facts are pertinent. I love all his history stuff he does. He just blows them away. That's one of the reasons his uh, uh, trial by jury is so fantastic. The footnotes and everything in there are incredible. Let's continue. For nearly 200 years, that is, since 1677, there has been on the statute book of England, and the same in substance, if not precisely in letter, has been reenacted and is now enforced in nearly all, or quite nearly all, of the states of this union, a statute, the general object of which is to declare that no action shall be brought to enforce contracts of the more important class unless they are put in writing and signed by the parties to be held chargeable upon them. Yes, and that exact same law is still in place today. That's all. It's not that you can't have oral contracts. There are oral contracts, but contracts like this where you're supposedly forming a government, something that important, like creating a trust and all these other things, they can't be created by these vague, ambiguous oral contracts that can't be confirmed. They can't. They need to be written and signed. That's all. The principle of the statute 
be observed is not merely that written contracts shall be signed, but also that all contracts, except those specially exempted, generally those that are for small amounts and are to remain in force but for a short time, shall be both written and signed. Yes, that is the law. That is the general law. The reason of the statute on this point is that it is now an easy thing for men to put their contracts in writing and sign them. And their failure to do so opens the door to so much doubt, fraud, and litigation that men who neglect to have their contracts of any considerable importance written and signed ought not to have the benefit of the courts of justice to enforce them. Right. And it's even easier now with email and e-sign and all this other crap. It's easy to get something written down, get the parties to agree to it, and sign off on it. It's just easy to do. But we don't do it when it comes to the authority of government because the authority of government is only in the hands of government. Government decides and expands it whenever they want to. Tells you what government's authority is. And it all goes back to this lie about consent of the people. Fundamental lie that constitutional conservatives and media and government push endlessly to drag the people off we need who want real freedom. Let's continue. And this reason is a wise one. And that experience has confirmed its wisdom and necessity is demonstrated by the fact that it has been acted upon in England for nearly 200 years and has been so nearly universally adopted in this country that nobody thinks of repealing it. Right. There's no question about that. Like, well, we don't need written contracts. Why don't we just have a social? Isn't everything just a social contract? <laughs> you wouldn't do that in your real life. You wouldn't, you wouldn't buy a house based upon a social contract. Some vague shit that only the seller is going to tell you whether or not you, in fact, have a house whether you, in fact, bought the thing, whether you, you can own it, operate it. <laughs> no, but the government tells you what the government's so-called contract with you says. It's just all made up. We all know, too, how careful most men are to have their contracts written and signed, even when the statute does not require it. For example, most men, if they have money, do them of no larger amount than 5 or $10 are careful to take note of it. Think about the inflation. Wow. <laughs> if they buy even a small bill of goods paying for it at the time of delivery, they take a receipted bill for it. If they pay a small balance of a book account or any other small debt previously contracted, they take a written receipt for it. Right. People keep up with this shit. When in your own personal life you do, but when you add the word government, they've just blurred the line so much. They've just confused people so thoroughly. Government education, all these lies about so-called constitution law of the land and all this made-up shit that they can't answer the most fundamental questions about. So the people are fundamentally confused, and that's how the way the government wants it, because the people behind government are a very small group who benefit. And what do they do? They use government and all its authority to screw us, and the people run around defending their abusers. It's just open and obvious. <laughs> Furthermore, the law everywhere in our country, as well as in England, requires that a large class of contracts, such as wills, deeds, etc., should not only be written and signed, but also sealed, witnessed, and acknowledged. And in the case of married women conveying their rights in real estate, the law in many states requires that the women shall be examined, separate and apart from their husbands, and declare that they sign their contracts free of any fear of compulsion of their husbands. That's an interesting point. I didn't 
realize that. But yeah, I mean, you have to have a notary on all sorts of su- contracts. Most of the settlements I'm involved with, they involve this notary. <laughs> you have to have a notary. You got to make damn sure they're actual persons. You're not going to come in and then later claim that the signature was, you know, faked. That wasn't even you that signed it and on and on. But none of this is present with regards to the most important so-called fake-ass contract we have, which is the one that empowers government to take any and everything they want from me, throw me in cage, and kill me. (laughs) That's idiotic. Let's continue. Such are some of the precautions which the law requires and which individuals, from motives of common prudence, even in cases not required by law, take to put their contracts in writing and have them signed, sealed, to guard against all uncertainties and controversies in regard to their meaning and validity. And yet, we have what purports or professes or is claimed to be a contract, the Constitution, made 80 years ago, now 240, of course, by men who are now all dead and who never had any power to bind us, but which, it is claimed, has nevertheless bound three generations of men consisting of millions and in which, it is claimed, will be binding upon all the millions that are to come, but which nobody ever signed, sealed, delivered, witnessed, or acknowledged, and which few persons compared with the whole number that are claimed to be bound by it have ever read or ever seen or ever will read or see. And of those who ever read it or ever will read it, scarcely any two, perhaps no two, have ever agreed or ever will agree as to what it means. Right. It's not a contract. It doesn't have any of the qualifications. All it is is something written down. That's it. The rest is made up bullshit. (laughs) That's just so powerful. Moreover, this supposed contract, which would not be received in any court of justice sitting under its authority, if offered to prove a debt of $5 owing by one man to another, is one by which, as it is generally interpreted by those who pretend to administer it, all men, women, and children throughout the country and through all time surrender not only their property, but also their liberties and even lives into the hands of men who by this supposed contract are expressly made wholly irresponsible for their disposal of them. I mean, think about that. This is how far off it is when you step back and you get out of the brainwashing about the holiness and the law of the land and all that made-up shit that's in people's heads. And you look at the reality of what it is, this thing, this written thing that no one's ever agreed to, that most people can't agree to what it even means, let alone whether or not they ever signed it that the party who's imposing it on you is the only party who gets to decide what's in there, what it says, and what their authority is. This is beyond insanity. And yet people continue to believe it's the greatest, freest system ever devised. Why? Because endless brainwashing by constitutional conservatives who are promoted by the system because they provide the illusion that there are two sides to this and that somebody is standing up for you. And none of that's true. Let's finish this section. And we are so insane or so wicked as to destroy property and lives without limit in fighting to compel men to fulfill a supposed contract which, inasmuch as it has never been signed by anybody, is, on general principles of law and reason, such principles as we are all governed by in regard to other contracts, the merest waste paper, binding upon nobody, fit only to be thrown into the fire, 
or if preserved, preserved only to serve as a witness and a warning of the folly and wickedness of mankind. Oh, man, that's so fucking good. I mean, that's some good writing right there. You know, he's talking about the Civil War, which I've told people over and over again. It's totally impossible to fight a war to hold a voluntary union together. It's completely impossible. It doesn't matter what the so-called reasons are. We don't have to get into it. And the very fact that both sides support it and tell me about Lincoln and loving it and they've tried to turn it into this racist fucking thing if you, if you stand up against it, there's no way around it. You can't fight a civil war to hold a voluntary union together. And that sentence by Spooner just destroys the entire concept. Waste paper. <laughs> Only reason to keep it around is to remind people as a witness to how stupid and wicked people are. All right, let's continue. New section, section six. It is no exaggeration, but a literal truth to say that by the Constitution, not as I interpret it, but as it is interpreted by those who pretend to administer it, the properties, liberties, and lives of the entire people of the United States are surrendered unreservedly into the hands of men who, it is provided by the Constitution itself, shall never be questioned as to any disposal they make of them. It's true. This is a great point. He brings it up, and I'm going to state the article here right here. But think about the power that's given over to the government, all right? And I talk about it all the time. It's not going to work when there's no liability for the people in anywhere in the chain. You have immunity for certain things you say on the floor of the House and the Senate when you're arguing, debating, and from being arrested, going back and forth for certain reasons. And then you have this. This is the one that's never talked about. Thus, the Constitution, Article 1, Section 6, provides that for any speech or debate or vote in either House, they, the senators and representatives, shall not be questioned in any other place. If they're doing something as a congressman, they're voting and, and, and arguing, they can't be questioned in any other place. That means you can't bring them up. You can't try them for something. This idea that, oh, it's treason when they do that. It's not treason. They can't charge them for treason. They're acting within their own official capacity they have. If in their official capacity they screw us, yeah, that's not something you can then bring against them. It doesn't work. See, it doesn't work. And that's why I get so tired of hearing people say, well, the people need to enforce it. There is no mechanism. There is no mechanism for the people to enforce it. If voting isn't a mechanism, when the government itself is corrupt, all you're doing is voting to get someone into a corrupt system. It doesn't make sense. Let's continue. The whole lawmaking power is given to those senators and representatives. And this provision protects them from all responsibility for the laws they make. Right. You can't do anything to them for passing unconstitutional laws and abusing you. All you can hope to do is get them out and try to get the law reversed. That's not satisfactory. Nobody would agree to this insane arrangement where one party who has all the guns and power has the authority to interpret its own shit to decide whether what they're doing is right or wrong and then to decide whether they should be arrested or charged and then if they are, then they do it in their own courts. It's all insane and made up. It's all insane and made up. And that's why you can see that it results in exactly what everybody can see now, that they do anything they want. And the constitutional conservatives in media and politics, that's what they do. They keep people believing in this Overton window that somehow it can work. It can't ever work. It's fundamentally flawed. I don't even believe it's flawed. I think it was planned from the beginning. They knew exactly what they were doing with this piece of crap. People wanted the Articles of Confederation. That's what they got. This vote on the Constitution was a rigged up scam. Made 2020 look legit. Let's continue. 
The Constitution also enables them to secure the execution of all their laws by giving them power to withhold the salaries of and to impeach and remove all judicial and executive officers who refuse to execute them. Right. If you're not on board, then they take you out. This is the problem with police. They all answer to government. And what, now they're all afraid. Oh, they'll lose their pension and their pay and everything else. And you can see how seriously those men take their oath. They don't. They fold. They don't disobey. Nobody disobeys. The tiny, tiny amount who do disobey, they just get crushed and nobody speaks up. Why? Because constitutional conservatives and media step forward and continue to push lies on people and not tell them the truth, the fundamental truths. The problem, the reason this government doesn't work like people imagine it will is because the government is not what the people imagine. Let's continue. Thus, the whole power of the government is in their hands, and they are made utterly irresponsible for the use they make of it. What is this but absolute irresponsible power? (laughs) Right, and you can see the effects. It is no answer to this view of the case to say that these men are under oath to use their power only within certain limits. For what care they, or what should they care, for oaths or limits, when it is expressly provided by the Constitution itself that they shall never be questioned or held to any responsibility whatsoever for violating their oaths or transgressing those limits? Right! When the same entity gives itself immunity with Article 1, Section 6, and then the rest of the entire system is given qualified immunity, which is unconstitutional itself, through the courts and through different statutes, and then they are the only people who are entitled to somehow enforce it. What the hell? That system can never work. It has no chance. It's not a matter of getting the right people in. The system is fundamentally set up to screw you. (laughs) So crazy continue. Neither is it any answer to this view of the case to say that the particular individuals holding this power can be changed once in two or six years, for the power of each set of men is absolute during the term for which they hold it, and when they can hold it no longer, they are succeeded only by men whose power will be equally absolute and irresponsible. Yes, it doesn't help. You can't even bind one Congress to another Congress' actions. The idea that you're going to get results from voting is absurd. The reason they allow you to vote is because they know it doesn't do anything. Once you understand the structure of the Constitution, which I've explained to people over and over again, you see the answers are not within the Constitution. We have to get secession going. We have to massively decentralize. The system can never work. It's fundamentally screwed. Continue. Neither is it any answer to this view of the case to say that the men holding this absolute irresponsible power must be men chosen by the people or proportions of them to hold it. A man is nonetheless a slave because he is allowed to choose a new master once in a term of years. Neither are people any the less slaves because permitted periodically to choose new masters. What makes them slaves is the fact that they now are and are always hereafter to be in the hands of men whose power over them and always is to be absolute and irresponsible. There's no consequence. I've said it over and over again. You hear on talk radio all the time, it's unconstitutional this and unconstitutional that. What's the consequence? What is the consequence to a government person who acts unconstitutionally or passes a so-called unconstitutional law? What is it? It's nothing. The worst possible case scenario for them is that they use your money, tax dollars, to pay some other person for a so-called violation. But personally, there's no consequence at all. That system will never work. It will never produce freedom. It's idiotic to continue to believe in it. Let's continue. 
The right of absolute and irresponsible dominion is the right of property, and the right of property is the right of absolute irresponsible dominion. The two are identical, the one necessarily implying the other. Neither can exist without the other. If, therefore, Congress have that absolute and irresponsible lawmaking power, which is Constitution, according to their interpretation of it, gives them, it can only be because they own us as property. If they own us as property, they are our masters, and their will is our law. If they do not own us as property, they are not our masters, and their will, as such, is of no authority over us. Right. We're either their slave or we're not. If we're not their slave, then they don't have the ability. There's no possible way they have the authority to do whatever they want without consequence. <laughs> but that's what people have been brainwashed into believing, that not only is that true, but that is actually evidence of how super free we are. The Constitution is the evidence of how free we are, when in fact it's completely inverted. It's another part of the 179 Club. He just lays it out. You can't have dominion over a man against his consent. <laughs> it doesn't work. That's a slave. Slaves were property. <laughs> you are a debt slave. That's it. They do whatever they want with your money and passing laws they want. Or they hire armed goons to run around enforcing because they're all brainwashed. <laughs> it's incredible. And who supports that? Who's the biggest supporter of the men with the guns, the government men with guns? Constitutional conservatives. That's right. Continue. But these men who claim and exercise this absolute and irresponsible dominion over us dare not be consistent and claim either to be our masters or to own us as property. They say they're only our servants, agents, attorneys, and representatives. <laughs> hear it all the time. That was my representative. Oh, they work for us, all this stupid shit. But it's all made up. But this declaration involves an absurdity, a contradiction. No man can be my servant, agent, attorney, or representative, and be, at the same time, uncontrollable by me and irresponsible to me for his acts. It is of no importance that I appointed him and put all power in his hands. If I made him uncontrollable by me and irresponsible to me, he is no longer my servant, agent, attorney, or representative. <laughs> right! If I gave him absolute irresponsible power over my property... I gave him the property. If I gave him absolute irresponsible power over myself, I made him my master and gave myself to him as a slave. And it is of no importance whether I called him master or servant, agent or owner. The only question is, what power did I put into his hands? Was it an absolute and irresponsible one or a limited and responsible one? See, it doesn't get you out of it to say, oh, they, are, they work for us. Well, they don't work for us if they can do whatever they want to us. And we can't do jack shit to them. Oh, we need to enforce it. What does that mean? It means you need to go in there and vote for another set of people who will also screw you. He's proving it. Again and again, people don't want to face what Spooner proves. They're so identified with the idea the Constitution is some fucking freedom machine. They don't want to face the reality of what it is that Spooner proves. Let's continue. For still another reason, they are neither our servants, agents, attorneys, nor representatives. And that reason is that we do not make ourselves responsible for their acts. If a man is my servant, agent, or attorney, I necessarily make myself responsible for all his acts done within the limits of the power I have entrusted to him. If I have entrusted him as my agent with either absolute power or any power at all over the persons or properties of other men than myself, 
I thereby necessarily make myself responsible to those other persons for any injuries he may do to them, so long as he acts within the limits of the power I have granted him. See, this is the big problem of the absolutely nobody in the entire custody of government action is ever responsible. Not the so-called we the people who vote for him because we don't even know who they are. But they don't step up. You can't sue them for putting somebody in power who abuses me. You can't sue anybody in the chain of government power. So it's not in any way an agency of any sort. See, none, not any type. Let's continue this. But no individual who may be injured in his person or property by acts of Congress can come to the individual electors and hold them responsible for these acts of their so-called agents or representatives. This fact proves that these pretended agents of the people, of everybody, are really the agents of nobody. They're not agents. They don't meet any of the qualifications of being an agent. Forget the fact that I never appointed them. But even if you want to claim I did appoint them through being here and having them elected, I didn't vote for them. So whoever voted for them, it's their agent. Oh, they're also my agent. Why? Oh, because I didn't vote for them because I specifically voted against them? That makes no sense. That's not agency theory. Again, all these kinds of concepts in the so-called law are out the window when you talk about government, but they continue to use the same terms as though they apply, but they don't apply. If, then, nobody is individually responsible for the acts of Congress, the members of Congress are nobody's agents. Right! An agent is someone who's acting on someone else's behalf. Who are they acting on behalf of? One, we can't ever find out. Two, the principal's not responsible. Doesn't work like that. If they act outside their agency authority, then they are personally responsible. But Article 1, Section 6 makes that impossible. So every single area is limited. Every single area in escape hatch is cut off. It's not a fantastic freedom machine document. It's shit. Let's continue. And if they are nobody's agents, they are themselves individually responsible for their own acts and for the acts of all whom they employ. And the authority they are exercising is simply their own individual authority. And by the law of nature, the highest of all laws, anybody injured by the acts, anybody who is deprived by them of his property or his liberty, has the same right to hold them individually responsible that he has to hold any other trespasser individually responsible. He has the same right to resist them and their agents that he has to resist any other trespasser. Bingo. See, this is the problem with these so-called armed government agents who run around, pretend like they're just doing their job. Well, sorry, but if your boss, government, <laughs> doesn't have any legit authority, then what you're doing is crime. See, you're, you're no different than any other common criminal. Just a capo telling you what to do. You're just a foot soldier for the mob. And that's why these issues are never discussed, see, because we're not allowed to discuss it. You can't discuss any of these issues because government's authority is completely and totally fake. It's made up. That's all. And the constitutional conservatives who tell you otherwise are lying to you or are so fucking confused themselves. They are worthless, useless if you think they're going to help us fighting for freedom. Let's finish this next section. This is the last one I'm going to read on this one because the show's long, but provides a good place to stop after this section. It is plain, then, that on general principles of law and reason, such principles as we all act upon in courts of justice and in common life, the Constitution is no contract, that it binds nobody and never did bind anybody, and that all those who pretend to act by its authority are really acting without any legitimate authority at all, that on general principles of law and reason, they are mere usurpers, and that everybody not only has the right 
but is morally bound to treat them as such. Yes, <laughs> when the law is an abusive, you have an obligation to resist it. But in our country, the constitutional conservatives get everyone so confused that they tell you you have to go within the system and work through the courts. That's all being run by the same crooks who are abusing you. <laughs> it's so crazy. Continue. If the people of this country wish to maintain such a government as the Constitution describes, there's no reason in the world why they should not sign the instrument itself and thus make known their wishes in an open, authentic manner in such manner as the common sense and experience of mankind have shown to be reasonable and necessary in such cases, and in such manner as to make themselves, as they ought to do, individually responsible for the acts of the government. But the people have never been asked to sign it, and the only reason why they have never been asked to sign it has been that it has been known that they never would sign it. that they were neither such fools nor knaves as they must needs be to have been willing to sign it. That, at least that it has been practically interpreted, is not what any sensible and honest man wants for himself, nor such as he has any right to impose upon others. It is, to all moral intents and purposes, as destitute of obligation as a compact which robbers and thieves and pirates enter into with each other, but never sign. Yes, They don't give you the opportunity to sign it because it's utter crap. Nobody wants to be responsible for the shit the government does to other people. It's utterly ridiculous. Government is a way to simply hide the people behind it from any possible consequence with these made-up things about consent and law of the land and social contract, all these mixed ideas I've gone over again and again. Nobody would agree to this. Nobody would agree to be responsible for all the people we murder all over the world in order to keep this fake money system, the Fed Reserve, going. (laughs) Nobody would. It's just obvious as hell that the Constitution is a complete load of crap. All right, let's, let's finish this section. If any considerable number of the people believe the Constitution to be good, why do they not sign it themselves and make laws for and administer them upon each other? leaving all other persons who do not interfere with them in peace. Yeah, this is the ultimate move to Somalia. You like it? Sign it and operate with it? Oh, no, no, you got to have everybody. Oh, I see. Okay, again, they're presuming the authority. That's not voluntary. It's criminal. Until they have tried the experiment for themselves, how can they have the face to impose the Constitution upon or even to recommend it to others? Plainly, the reason for such absurd and inconsistent conduct is that they want the Constitution, not solely for an honest or legitimate use it can be of to themselves or others, but for the dishonest and illegitimate power it gives them over the persons and property of others. But for this latter reason, all their eulogisms on the Constitution, all their exhortations, and all their expenditures of money and blood to sustain it would be wanting. Bingo. That's it. See, the people love it to the extent they can use it to abuse the living shit out of everybody else and then hide behind it, claim freedom and liberty. As soon as it comes for them, they don't like it. But that's what they love to run around and claim that, oh, you vote and this and you're bound, all that crap. See, that is such a powerful section by uh, Spooner right there. And 
you know, you probably need to either read it again, listen to the show a couple times to really start to understand how far we are from the reality that they propose that we operate under. That it is a criminal band up there in Washington. And everybody who's supporting it openly, who isn't simply confused, is a criminal. And everybody who is explained to that they are criminals, that they continue to support it, they live in a fantasy land. They are in cognitive dissonance. And they refuse to accept the reality of what they actually promote. Nobody can answer these questions as Spooner puts out. Nobody can answer these issues. That's why you've never heard them discussed. Because if people understood them, there would be no support for this government. It would all dissolve away. The only people who'd be supporting it are the people who want to use it to abuse people openly. And then we could all see who our real enemies were. Then we could see. And that's why constitutional conservatives are problematic to me, because they drain off the people we need and they keep people confused. So we can't really see who the bad actors are because there's so many people who believe them with good faith just like I did for many, many years. But once I learned the truth, once I read Spooner, I knew and I was immediately never going back. I've done everything I can to make sure people wake up to the realities of what government is. And this is why this concept that the Constitution just needs to be done the right way, and all it's all bullshit. That's all bullshit. It has to be massively decentralized. You can never have a government for hundreds of millions of people. It's idiotic. It's never going to be anything but a tyranny. And it's set up to be a tyranny. And it works like a charm works like a charm. Okay, that's it. <laughs> I knew this thing would run a little long. It always does. I figured this is about how long the program would be. I don't like to run significantly longer than this just because I think it's, it's difficult to either listen to it again and the, it becomes too much material and it's hard to keep it straight. And the concepts are, each one of them is very, very important. It's not just hours and hours of useless material. It's very, very important. So... I hope people enjoyed that one. we got a couple more shows to go on this, and then I'll do some of his others as well. I try to tell people about these concepts on my Twitter. If you want to go there, you can. I'm legal man at U.S. Law Review. You can listen to my older shows that are out in public. And I want to thank the people inside Patreon who support my program because they make it worth my time to tell people the truth and to give them the benefit of my more than 30 years of law practice and study of this material. And there are simple realities. Most people, they're never going to hear what I tell them anywhere else because there's really nobody else explaining it like I do. A lot of that's because most people, honestly, there's very, very few people, probably a handful of people who actually understand all the different things I understand about the law. And that's not a slam on them. Uh, They may or may not have focused on it, but it's not a brag either. It's just a fact. And if people like my show and they look forward to my show, then they should support it. That's what free markets all are about. It's very difficult for me to understand people who like my show but don't support my show and then how inconsistent they are. But whatever. It's what people do. (laughs) It's what they do. And this is probably going to come out while I'm filming The Jones Plantation on Mr. Jones, written by Larkin Rose. It's going to be a great project. But a lot of these programs were pre-recorded for January just for this purpose. So I hope people enjoyed them. And because the show's already running long, I don't think there's anything else to say about it. Go ahead and wrap it up. And you guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice another day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Put your hands together one more time.